0: Hello, I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I get to host guests that have successfully transitioned out of consulting and gone on to do very interesting things with their career. This week, we have Stephanie Holly Chang in the studio. Stephanie is the Director of Global Strategic Accounts at Braze. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us.
1: I'm excited to be here,
0: Ken. Thank you. So Stephanie's a special guest because at one point in Stephanie's career, one of our clients was actually uh, someone that hired her. So, but we'll get there eventually. First, Stephanie, do you want to maybe just start and kick things off by giving us a little bit of background on, on your career, just in general.
1: Yeah, I have done a, a bunch of different things in a bunch of different fields and a bunch of different roles, and I think I finally settled on what I want to do. But currently, I, I lead a sales team at Braze, which is a customer engagement platform. Uh, my team is focused on quick service restaurants and fintech, which means that you know I get to live my lifelong dream of eating fried chicken sandwiches at work and talking to to customers about really fun things but i i haven't always been in sales ken you and i've talked about this i started out my very first job in sales i did door-to-door municipal bond sales during the financial crisis it was the only job that was available in 2008 and i had vowed i would never ever 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 get back into sales ever again and so i took a right turn i did financial services went into oil and gas consulting And then all roads led back to sales, Ken, when you and your team found me and we transitioned into MarTech sales. And I've never looked back. It's been awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. And yes, terrible time just to, to start muni bond sales uh, in the crisis. So first, let's start with Braze. What is it? So you mentioned as a customer engagement platform. What does what does that mean?
1: It means like so many things to so many different people, right? But it, it's essentially any time a brand needs to communicate with its customers. So whether that's um, through text, through the app, through web, through push. It's really important in this day and age. You have so many communications that come from all these different brands. You have to get the message right, and you have to make sure you do it in a way that makes sense. We power all of the stuff behind it, the orchestration. If we're working really well, you you should have no idea that Braze is powering it on the back end.
0: Could you give us an example just for our listeners that just to make it a little bit more real?
1: Yeah. So it, it can be anything from really critical things like when weather apps need to tell you a tornado in the area to when a brand wants to let you know that it has a sale or a promotion on something. And they can do it in really creative ways through gamification or just through normal notifications within um, the app or even a text.
0: Awesome. And OK, so and you lead a sales team. So what does that look like?
1: it's a lot of fun it, it, when you work with like when you work with really high performer sellers it's just it's a lot of brainstorming a lot of problem solving and a lot of just like partnering alongside uh the team so i've i've managed sort of smaller enterprise teams where the sellers will have 50 to 100 clients that looks very different than the team i'm leading now where my my team has about one to two customers each so Previously, when I was at QuickBase, I was leading folks who were working with a larger group that was more day to day trying to really focus on, okay, exactly when are the deals going to come in? Who are we talking to? It was very granular and in the details. Now that we're working on sort of one to two accounts, it's much more strategic on, okay, what do we think this company is going to do in the next two to five years? How are we going to contribute to those goals? How do we become a trusted partner and kind of like work alongside them on that?
0: Okay. So Stephanie, you're really talking about kind of like account execs, if you will. And so like in sales, we we, we talk about things like it's like hunting versus farming. So this is more kind of like in the farming category. Is that right?
1: It's I, I would be remiss. I actually don't think farming is like a true sales Role, I think it's either hunting or you're like really hunting. So (laughs) farming is this like, I think it's sort of a myth that you can watch your crops or your account sort of grow and just sort of like rely on relationships. Any good seller is constantly hunting, constantly selling. You're always looking for somebody new to talk to, some new business opportunities, some new group that might need your help. So while um, the folks on my team are called Global account directors or sort of global account managers, they spend most of their time trying to find new opportunities to go after.
0: Okay, got it. And and that's a good way to separate the two things because you're right because it's not just because you're working within the same account doesn't mean you're not hunting if you will right because uh, okay good good challenge so you lead a team of salespeople obviously you didn't just kind of start there, right? So help me, I guess, and help our listeners kind of like understand what, what brought you to Braze and how you kind of, let's say, got back into sales, if you will, after swearing it off altogether.
1: Well, you, you, you and your team got me back into sales, Ken. So I I was in consulting. (laughs) I'm not that
0: convincing, I promise. (laughs)
1: I was in consulting, as you know, I was at Deloitte working with a really wonderful team focused on oil and gas, and it was really relationship focused. It had a lot of elements of sales, but I didn't know, I couldn't put like the vocabulary behind it. And so when I was at Deloitte, we were trying to solve problems. We were working on projects specific to, you know, KPIs and ROIs that the business had set for us we were constantly trying to get introduced to new people. We were constantly taking them out to dinner. We were learning everything we could about their business. We were speaking their language. It was pretty much a sales capacity, but I didn't realize that consulting and sales pretty much had you know very similar skill sets. And so I had no intention of going back until you and your team reached out and told me about a cool opportunity at Lattice Engines. And the technology is one thing. I think marketing technology is very interesting because we all hear it, we experience it. As consumers, we can really grasp what marketing is. But at the end of the day, you know, the reason why I joined Lattice is because you introduced me to these really wonderful people who were really smart and wanted to sell in a way that I agreed with. So I, you know this, but the team that I joined Lattice was a group of also former consultants. The entire sales team up to the CRO used to be in consulting. And so they had a very sort of partnership mindset. It was how do we solve problems first and then handle the details of the sales second?
0: Well, thanks for saying that. And I hope our team wasn't overly convincing. But um, I think one of the things that you're bringing up is is interesting. So I want to get into kind of what Lattice was in a second. But I want to step back for a second, because you mentioned at at Deloitte, you were doing all these activities, right, that were, that had KPIs behind them. And at the end of the day, you were just trying to understand what your clients needed, right? And then enter an opportunity at Lattice where you're essentially kind of like doing a similar thing, right? It just now there's this title associated with, which is sales and sales can have a negative connotation, I would almost argue, at least recently, and especially with former consultants, right? Because we don't view it, traditionally, it's not viewed as like very strategic, Could you tell us a little bit like how you kind of got over the hump of like kind of past traumas from 2008 to to be okay with selling again?
1: It all comes down, if I have to be very blunt about it, it comes down to how your compensation is structured. So when I when I was selling municipal bonds, it was 100 percent commission And the amount of pressure that that puts on you to to sell versus doing the right thing is just it's immense. I think it's a very tough way to to structure things. I understand why certain companies do it that way. But in a technology SaaS world, most of the compensation is structured in the sense that you get a base salary and then you get commission. Um, and the base salary is not something that's minimal. It's 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 something that that will sustain you, allow you to pay your bills, allow you to sustain your lifestyle. And then the commission portion is for you to do your job and do it really really well. And so this was the first time I realized, okay, I could have a stable environment, a stable income with sales, but then also have that upward potential of you know to being really good at my job and being able to make way more than I ever did in consulting, which. I had thought consulting was the upper echelon after business school, you know, that's what everyone goes into. It's a wonderful lifestyle, but there's other ways to achieve it than, than becoming partner.
0: Excellent. And okay, so now let's talk about kind of what what Lattice was and kind of what you were selling there. And then I want to turn a little bit uh, to the conversation of uh, kind of like how, how to actually be successful in sales. But first, okay, so you're at Deloitte. We convinced you to change your <laughs> life. Come over to Lattice. What is Lattice?
1: It really did change my life, Ken. Um, so, <laughs>
0: is a- I'm getting flush. By the way,
1: <laughs> it's I've told you this multiple times. I mean, it's nobody ever told me I could have a career in sales. It was not something that we talked about in college. It was honestly not something that was ever brought up in business school. So, I'm very passionate about it. But Lattice Lattice Engines was a Business to business consumer data platform basically consolidated a bunch of um, information on businesses so that if you were selling to a small business, medium business, large business, you had all the information you needed to target them specifically. You knew what to talk to them about, you knew what their background was. It was sort of, you know, I I think it was a step beyond CRM that people weren't quite familiar with. And there's been a lot of traction with CDPs in the past five years. I, I think the Lattice Engines team was really early to the scene. And that's what made selling
0: it very interesting. Could you just give us an example of a use case or a solution that Lattice might've sold to?
1: Yeah, this is really, really simple. But one thing that we really focused on, so yes, you wanted to have all the information on who you were talking to, right? If you were selling to businesses, but there was also this element of recommendations. So the most fun one that I can think of is, let's say one of our clients was a really large like food distributor and they call on restaurants, right? They want to sell to Olive Garden as much as they want to sell to mom and pop little Joe's pizza shop. But when they go and talk to somebody like an Olive Garden or Joe's pizza shop, they want to know what can they sell them, right? They have the usual order of, you know, tomatoes and pasta and basil But is there other information sort of either third party wise or first party wise that can better inform what you're selling? And so one example we give is you could easily pull up menus off of the Internet. You could scrape off and and be able to see like, hey, it it looks like, you know, Joe's Pizza Shop is selling a bunch of meatballs, but we're not selling them pork. That's something that our sellers should be talking to, to the shop about. And then there's also things like seasonality, right? If we know... Again, I'm making up Olive Garden. I I don't know if that was ever a customer of a distributor, but if we know that there's seasonality, right, people celebrate things during graduation, during the holidays, you can sort of estimate, okay, because I know what their purchasing patterns are, I want to be able to make a really good recommendation of, hey, I think we should increase your order of spaghetti during this period. It, It basically is a way for sellers to become more informed about the customers that they're talking to.
0: Okay. Does this kind of all fall under the category of intent-based selling? It does.
1: Intent-based selling. So Lattice was the first place that I really learned about this. So there's first-party intent and there's sort of third-party intent. So first-party intent is you know, basically... Proprietary information—it's—it's it's what you understand based on their purchasing patterns, what you—you you know about um, your own customers, stuff that you've gathered. Okay. And then there's sort of third-party intent as well, which is—you know—what wh- are the the macro environments that I I can use? Are has there been an increase in people looking up pork on on the internet? I, I want to be able to get on on that trend. If I think pork is you know going to be the next big thing.
0: Awesome. Okay, got it. So it is basically a platform that enabled sellers to do a better job by getting ahead of the conversation, if you will, right? Getting
1: ahead of the conversation and then a lot of times just getting a grasp of it. There's so much information on their customers that's really hard to pull up in a moment's notice. To be able to consolidate that all into one place was really important.
0: That's awesome. In an ironic twist of fate, you ended up back in sales selling to sellers. Uh, (laughs) So, okay. So then for those listeners that are considering a, I would say like a transition in terms of career to go into sales, you mentioned comp and like motivators being a big part of that. What are some of the other things that you think are kind of necessary to, to succeed in sales?
1: I don't think it's much different than other job. So I think it's easier to sell a good product than a crappy product. <laughs> so yeah, if you're going to do it, find a product that really works. And so in the software world, right, if you're looking at potentially getting into into that company, get as many demos as you can, try to really understand if if this is something that actually is going to do what it says it does. That that's first and foremost like what you should be looking for. And then the second is the people, right? At the end of the day, again, it's it's no different than when you're job hunting. You, you want to make sure your, your direct manager is somebody that you think would support your career, somebody that could help you along. You want to make sure the people you're working alongside fit, you know, whatever working environment that you want. But people and product, if, if you're selling a good product and you have a good team behind you, vastly different sales experience the second time
0: for me. Okay. No, I think that's great advice, especially for some of the folks that are leaving consulting and kind of, I guess, to me, get lured away by like, call it like the sexiness of Silicon Valley, right. And mm-hmm. startup world and do your homework, right. Cause not all products are created equal. Right. And it's, it's easy to get, I'd say caught up in also like the PR and the press related to like a company. Right. And you be a, be a consumer, right. So get a demo as Stephanie says. Okay, so let's say you join a good team, the product's great, just like Gladys, and you're day one on the job. What are you doing to, I guess, maximize the chance that you personally succeed?
1: Meeting as many people as you possibly can and talking to as many
0: people. I'll sort
1: of back up and say one more thing to consider. I, I think it's really like sexy to join an early stage company and get a lot of compensation and equity. The compensation is a lot more lucrative when you're one of, you know, 10 salespeople, but the risk is way higher that, you know, you're going and forging this path of, is this something that I can sell? Is their market fit out there? Versus when I had joined Braze, for example, like, Funding matters, which stage of funding a company is at. There, there's nothing wrong with being a late stage technology person when you're transitioning to sales. So that that all being said, what was your question? I just, I that was
0: like really important to me. No, it's a great point. Actually, I don't think it's something that's very talk, talked about, and, and that is it doesn't even need to be a tech company, right? I mean, there's a ton of very strategic sales jobs that are still out there that aren't necessarily based in software right No. and and they're out there and they're interesting and and to stephanie's point is the product market fit's been proven before someone's already taken that risk for you getting back to kind of like the the other question which was you start you day one at Lattice. Oh, yeah. How do you, how do you, uh, you, you said, you said talk to as many possible people as you can. That is good advice. Uh, take meetings, make money.
1: <laughs> yeah. And again, I, I think I bring up this, the early stage versus late stage. Cause I remember, and I, I tell everyone at Lattice as I remember my first day at Lattice, it was the Austin office itself had like 20 or maybe 30 people. And it was, a, it was a startup. Nobody really knew that I was coming. I, I didn't have like a laptop. I remember I'd like quit my Deloitte job, like walk into the office and nobody's there because people at tech companies don't show up at like seven o'clock in the morning. Like <laughs> I did. And like nobody knew I was coming. Um, so the first day was just setting stuff up. But it's so helpful, I think, to hear how other people sell. Like the biggest thing we talk about now is I never want my team to sell the way that I do. I think everyone sells a little bit differently, but you're only going to learn sort of how to how to use the language and what phrases really hit if you hear other people. So like, you know, if I had to put it into a 30, 60, 90 day plan plan. The first 30 is absorb as much as you can. Just meet everybody that's gonna to touch your account. So your customer success managers, your business development folks, your onboarding folks, your marketing folks, learn everything, get, get names to faces, but then just listen to calls. I think almost every sales organization starts this way. There's a whole repository of calls usually that you can listen to from early discovery to sort of later stage. The way that people describe things is so valuable.
0: I think that's a really good point especially on you hope that your team never sells the way you do because a lot of what you talked about was science right which is listen to calls schedule a lot of meetings right like these are all kind of activity based metrics that you can you can look at and control for but I do think there is something special about Stephanie right and and like and that that if you try to get too far from that you're not going to succeed because you're going to feel so out of your element, right? And people can perceive that. Yeah. So great advice. What about the pressure of a sales job? So if I'm in consulting and I'm thinking about making a transition, right? And like, yeah, you have your base salary, you have commissions. But at the end of the day, if you're not selling, you're probably not ROI positive for the company. So how, how how do you wrap your head around that?
1: I think it's this is like part of what you should ask in an interview process, and it gives you an idea of how mature the sales organization is. And so there is an immense amount of pressure, but it all depends on how the the team is currently set up. And so the amount of pressure is going to be really different if it's a brand new organization where they couldn't even tell me how many of their reps hit quota last year, versus if it's a well oiled machine right at one of the big tech companies where they can give me an exact amount of how many people hit quota. And if I do XYZ, I'm going to be able to do it. And so again, it's like being really honest with yourself on what you're comfortable with. There's no right or wrong answer. But if you join like a really large multinational company where they can tell you exactly 43% of reps or AEs hit their number last year and they did it by doing XYZ and they had to process a certain way, that's a very different amount of stress than if you're joining a new company they've sort of formed a new t- like go to market team they can kind of give you a sense of who's hit quota but it's also really exciting because there's a bit of unknown on how you're going to achieve it the stress part is i think you have to be like a little a certain type of crazy to to enjoy doing this month after month Most companies will forecast on a quarterly basis, but a lot of folks are going to a month-to-month basis just because it demonstrates a level of discipline and understanding of your deals. And so it's sort of this getting used to every single month and almost every single week, you're going to be thinking about how you get your goals done, how you accomplish sort of building pipeline and closing things at the same time, but not any different than consulting, right? You have project deadlines, you're burning the midnight oil. It's just, it's... It's both stressful. It's just different tasks.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's right. And at least from what I've observed with our clients, the, the, the best teams seem to have some sort of kind of like cadence or metrics in place, whether that be weekly, monthly, quarterly, right? But I'd say 80% of the best ones seem to be tracking some sort of KPIs, right, on a regular occurrence. So you obviously succeed Quite quite nicely as a, as an individual kind of like salesperson, and then you think about okay in terms of kind of like next steps. I'm gonna I'm gonna lead a sales team. What has that transition been like? And and what's been good? What's been bad? Tell us all about that.
1: Yeah, um, and again, I only kept afloat at Lattice through the grace of other people teaching me what things were. So like knowing who your implementation folks are, your your customer success folks are. Early on, you know, sort of building a relationship before you need help, like I had to go in with my tail between my legs and ask anybody at Lattice will laugh at this from the Austin office, but I had to ask what like ETL meant. I was like selling this thing and I I didn't know what I was selling as a connector and, you know, they were all very gracious. It was a good environment that we were helping, but I want to make it very clear. The only reason, you know, we we did well that year is because we really we we gathered together. But then after we made the exit um, to Dun and Bradstreet, I think a lot of us were, you know, really craving the startup environment a little. And so, I was looking at other leadership opportunities. And again, only by the grace of somebody taking a chance on me, the way that Ken, you and your team took a chance on me, I was in touch with this woman who's actually no longer at QuickBase, but she took a leap of faith and she said, I, you know, I I can see that you know how to sell. I I think we could, we could have you lead a team. And I gave her my 30, 60, 90 day plan then as well. And I think the consulting background honestly gives us all a little bit more credit than we're do sometimes. (laughs) But, (laughs) But, you know, I think a combination of jumping into sales and having consulting gave them the leap of faith that, you know, this is probably something I could do. And I, I failed like really bad that that whole first year. I was doing things that I had never done before and I figured it out. But you know, it was all through trial and error.
0: So you inadvertently just touched on something that I'm glad you did in terms of kind of being a successful salesperson. And that was that's in case anybody missed it, Stephanie is beyond uh humble, right? And I think that's such a key part of being a great salesperson too, especially if you're coming into an organization, especially in tech where it's like, I don't know what the hell this, <laughs> what is an ETL? I don't, I don't know. What's, what is a data like? Who is it a, is it a pool, pool full of data? Like what, what does, what does that mean? So just being comfortable with saying like, I don't, by the way, Hey, I don't know. I would say 95% of people are going to, are going to be more than happy to help you. I, the, where I've seen like reps fail is when they try to kind of like, quote unquote, fake it till you make it. And like, I think that's really dangerous and something you're very humble. And I think that's such a key element of your success, but I want to get back to, you know, kind of leading a sales team and kind of, I guess, how is it different? And like, what have you enjoyed about that experience versus kind of like being an individual seller?
1: I think the biggest difference is you don't have as much control of your time. And again, I think this might be, I I know this is across not just sales, but a, a lot of different practices. So when you are an individual sales contributor, one of the greatest benefits is you completely make up your own day, right? You you take your meetings when it makes sense. You structure your day how you need it to be. You have full autonomy. You're you're essentially running your own P&L. <laughs> once, you, once you move into leading a team and, and the benefits far outweigh, you know, the scheduling sort of downfalls, but, you know, you just, you always want to be available for your team when they need it. And in sales, the same way that there's a you know in consulting, you have working hours, but you're constantly thinking about, you know, your deal cycle and prospecting. You're you're sort of always on. And so you just always want to be available if your reps want to troubleshoot. I think another big shift is you just get more candid about what's going on. So I think sometimes when you're an individual seller, you know, you hold things very close because the last thing you want to do is call up your VP or your CRO and tell them this deal is not coming through and you do everything you can to like work things on the background. And then when I started leading a team, I realized I need information way sooner even if it's not good. And so I went from sort of being really scared of roadblocks to trying to seek out roadblocks as quickly as possible, because the earlier we know something, the more likely it is that we can probably solve for it. The time and then sort of the wanting to know the details, that's what shifted.
0: Yeah, well, I guess just like sales too, it's like there's three answers. Yes, no, and then no answer. And that, that third one's the worst, right? Maybe no is maybe. such a better answer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. I'd rather have a no than a maybe. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Okay, awesome. That's interesting about the autonomy. I I had never thought about it like that. Okay, lastly, I guess, just what advice do you have for folks that are uh, in consulting and maybe, or, or did consulting at some point in their career and thinking about making a transition to sales, just in general, beyond kind of what we talked about?
1: Yeah, it's it's not for everyone. I it's you know <laughs> there's so many transferable skill sets, right? If if you know how all the stuff that you gained in consulting, right? Being able to cohesively tell a story through PowerPoints or being able to, you know, navigate matrixed organizations, like it's not a matter I think of can you do it? It's a matter of like do you want to do it. So I talk all the time about just because you're really good at something doesn't mean it's something you like to do. And there's a lot of people who are really good at consulting, who could probably be really good at sales. But there's a certain amount of, like you said, stress and like a thrill of a hunt that you have to love to be able to get into it. And then product and people, Those you have to be selling the right product. You have to be surrounded by the right team in, in order to be happy and, and successful.
0: Awesome. Very good. Well, you've obviously proven all those things out and and how to be successful. So hats off to you, ma'am.
1: Well, because of you and your team, Ken, I I told you, you you guys (laughs) changed my entire life. Never, never would I have thought I would be in sales. And it's, it's almost this like community of people who realize that, you know, you could work your butt off and actually have it be directly correlated to what you're bringing home. It's awesome. And you don't need any sort of education or background. I think that's what the coolest thing is. We talk at Braze a lot about how can we get people who never in their wildest dreams would have thought they would have gone into technology, but maybe worked in the service industry, have a good idea of what human psychology is like, how to handle objections because it's, it's a really great career.
0: Yeah, no, and thanks for your kind words. This episode has been the, 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 the most, I would say, shameless promoting uh, <laughs> the, the, that I've, I swear, listeners, I, I didn't tell her to do it. I, I Maybe I paid her on the side. Who knows? Uh, anyway, Stephanie, and then the last thing that I wanted to ask you, just because we are slowly building up a library of books that have made an impact on people's lives, and always curious to kind of get your recommendation so we can add it. Uh, any anything that comes to mind? It's the almanac of Naval Ravikant. So
1: he was Naval's the founder of like AngelList. He's he's big in the in the VC community. Well, actually, I think it's actually an accumulation of like a bunch of tweets that he had. Okay, but he sort of breaks things down into like it's just how to be successful and happy in in life and in job and your money. And he talks a lot about how do you actually have value versus perceived value? You know What can you do to make yourself really smart? I'm doing a horrible job of, of explaining just sort of how profound this is, but it's really good. It's, it's sort of like a very philo- philosophical based on numbers and then also based on this very successful man's career on how he approaches like relationships, how he approaches um, job searches and how he approaches like upskilling himself.
0: Awesome. Um, there's that self-deprecating humility coming out again, Stephanie. That's my biggest takeaway is I I just need to be more like Stephanie.
1: You're too kind, Ken. It's it's I think you have to make fun of yourself a little bit, especially when you're in uh, sales. It's it's like salespeople are just like the most fun and worst people ever to work with because we're all a little crazy.
0: Maybe TMI, but I always joke that like I'm such a walking cliche. Like Everything about my life is a walking cliche, like right down to my little baby French bulldog. Right. And like if you can't like if you can't laugh at yourself, like you shouldn't be allowed to laugh at other people. So, Well, cool. No, it's been awesome having you on. We're looking forward to pushing the episode out. So you mentioned like, hey, wouldn't it be nice to get people, you know, with quick serve restaurant experience? Yeah. What about folks that are interested in either learning more about Braze or learning more about Stephanie? I guess any information that you can share in terms of kind of how to find you?
1: Yeah, I am, you know, one of, I think, thousands, hundreds of thousands, Stephanie Chang's on LinkedIn, but Stephanie (laughs) Molly Chang is the best way to find me. Um, But Braze is always hiring. Um, I, I actually manage our Austin office as well we've got you know just a a group of really awesome folks who are excited to go to work and and support each other every day and we're always looking to hire we we always talk about we're looking for culture ad not culture fit it's actually something that that we interview for we're we're not looking to squeeze you into our our current current culture we want to see what uniqueness what weirdness you can bring to the Austin
0: office Awesome. Yeah. If you do end up working at Braze, you can take a listen to this podcast and get to know your boss a little bit better, uh, which may be a good or bad thing. Who knows? Stephanie, thanks so much. For those of you listening for the first time, uh, be sure to subscribe on either Spotify, Apple, or Amazon. And if you're interested in past episodes you can always look things up on beyondconsulting.info and then finally if you want to get in touch with me or anybody else at eca partners it's going to be eca-partners.com we do episodes like this every week although they're not usually as entertaining as this one Uh, be sure to tune in next week and until then we will talk to you then